And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility. Today we'll be talking with a panel of young adult transracial adoptees about their experience growing up and being adopted and being in a transracial adoptive family. If you are considering adopting transracially or if you have adopted a child of a different race uh, than, than you and your spouse, I really think you need to listen to this show. Here's a sample of what you will hear. I really felt like growing up I never fit into the white world, but then I came down to South Florida, and for a long time I never felt like I fit into the black world. And so I really was, like, in the middle. I was completely in limbo. Um, and I think it took me a while to really accept myself and, you know, this is who I am. I'm a product of my, my upbringing, my circumstances. I don't have to fit into anyone's box. But it did. It was really hard for a while. Um, being in college and people just thinking, you're not really black, you don't talk black, you don't dress like you're black, you don't listen to, you know, quote-unquote black music. So it was difficult for a while. I'm Dawn Davenport, the Director of Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Organization. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We are a weekly radio show, and we use the podcast model, which is what most radio shows now have moved to. And uh, you can automatically hear about each of the episodes by subscribing to our show at either iTunes or on the radio page of our site, creatingafamily.org slash radio show. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer doesn't have to mean a loss of your fertility. If you are a loved one or facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medications through Faring's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, you can go to that website, which is heartbeatprogram.com, or you can talk to your doctor and get further information then. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to pre- and post-adoptive families and the infertility patient community. Some of our great sponsors include Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have been providing adoption services for more than 50 years with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and Kentucky. They provide international adoption, domestic, foster, embryo donation, and, uh, and th- that program is called Snowflakes. We also have Spence Chapin. They are a full-service adoption agency bringing over 100 years of experience to a new direction, creating permanent, loving families for children most in need, older children, siblings, children with special needs. Spence Chapin has eliminated the financial barrier by providing no-fee adoption services for families who can, con- who can consider opening up their lives and their hearts to this very special population. We also have Bethany Christian Services. They are a global nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering children and families. They are committed to quality social services along the child welfare continuum, ranging from pregnancy counseling and family preservation to foster care and to adoption. We have other great sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. We ask that when choosing an adoption agency or infertility service provider, please consider choosing one from the Creating a Family directories on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, uh, types of adoption, years of operation, just a host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And by using these directories, you support those who support us. And we thank you. Today's show, we will be talking with a panel of young adult transracial adoptees. 
uh, the uh, real experts on transracial adoption are the people who were adopted by parents of a different race or ethnicity. And all of us involved in adoption need to listen to them because it is their voices that should inform how we practice adoption uh, in the future. Um, so all of our panel today, uh, there are four black adoptees in their 20s who were raised by white parents. We have Andrew Lee. He was at three months old when he was adopted. He has a brother who is uh, also uh, uh, transracially adopted. We have Julius Johnson. He was two months old when adopted, and he had, also has a brother who was adopted transracially as well. And we have Mariette Williams. She was three years old uh, when she was adopted from Haiti. She has four other uh, transracially adopted siblings. Her family, her parents also had three older bio kids before they adopted. Welcome, Mariette, Julius, and Andrew, to Creating a Family. Thank you. Hi. Thanks. Well, one of the first questions we got was from Holly. She said, when did you realize that your family was composed of different races? I have had many opportunities to quiz the academic experts, but rarely get to hear from adults who evolved as my daughter will over time. Thank you for being a panelist. Uh, and I echo her thanks for you guys being on the show. I truly do. So her question is, when did you first realize that that you were a different race from your parents? Mariette, you were older, so you, your your experience may be uh, different. Yes, I was three years old when I was adopted, so it was pretty obvious to me that um, I was a different race, a different skin color than my parents. Um, so, you know, it wasn't ever an issue of my parents ever telling me I was adopted. Um, I was aware from day one that I was being adopted into a family that looked very different from me. Okay. Andrew, you were adopted as an infant, a very young infant, um, and infants don't immediately, obviously, know. At what age do you do you remember noticing that you were a different race, or your parents were a different race? I mean, to to be completely honest, um, I I always kind of you know you always know you always see it, but it was never an issue it, until kind of you know elementary school or, or middle school when other kids you know see your mother um, you know pick you up from school. That's the first time when it really hits, you know, unless they have already known you or anything else, um, they point out, oh, you know, that's your mother, um, you know, and, and just that little question is usually, and was the first time that, that I thought about it. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's that's uh, your mother, yeah. Oh. Go ahead, uh, Julius. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, it's it's kind of the same thing for me. Um, you know, I was adopted when I was really little. Um, it was pretty obvious to me, though, um, because my parents, um, they always, you know, kind of kept an open discussion about it. You know, we, uh, we celebrate me and my brother's adoption day each year. You know, they have already always told us we were adopted. And, uh, you know, kind of like Andrew said, um, you know, when you get a little bit older, you know, when your mom comes to pick you up from school, when, you know, you're out in public and people kind of, you know, they do, they just kind of double take a little bit uh, when they mm-hmm. see you and your parents, you know, kind of, oh, you know, who is that? Or, you know, is that a family friend or is that, um, you know, maybe your aunt or something? And then, um, you know, at that point you kind of know that, oh, you know, to other people we're not, um, you know, kind of what your normal family looks like, um, you know, because we're, we're uh, you know, it's different races, basically. Did that uh, did that bother you? Were you embarrassed by that? Uh, was, there, was that a problem for you growing up? And I'd like to hear all of your parents, because you, you both, well, Andrew and Julius, you both mentioned it, and I think that the, the reality is transracial families do draw attention. Uh, and uh, and I think that a lot of us parents wonder if that bothers our kids. So, Julia, since you were the one who just mentioned it, did that bother you when people did, as you said, the double take or the who's that uh, type of look and question? Um, yes and no. I mean, as a little kid, um, you know, your, your kind of thing is fitting in with everyone else. You know, you don't want to be the outlier. So on that level, um, you know, it bothered me a little bit in the fact that, you know, I had to do this explaining of, you know, oh, I was adopted, you know, these are my parents, um, you know, kind of just little stuff like that. But, I mean, overall, um, it, does, it didn't bother me that much. Um, and especially now, it doesn't bother me at all, obviously. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a very, um, you know, diverse area, very accepting area. Um, so for the most part, you know, it wasn't someone, you know, saying it in kind of a negative way or anything like that. 
um, they were just, you know, most most of the people were just kind of curious about it because, you know, when someone comes to pick you up, they're not expecting, you know, uh, you know, a white woman to show up to pick to pick up a, you know, a little black child. Um, they just kind of are curious about it, basically. Um, so, you know, it didn't bother me just on kind of the, you know, when you're little, you kind of don't want to stick out. But um, other than that, it was not really a big deal. Andrew, what about you? Um, I definitely have to, you know, echo a lot of what he said. It, it's not that it bothered. It's more of just kind of a, a cumbersome task that you always have to kind of go into the, no, I was adopted, blah, 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 and go through that whole spiel and, and basically that whole panel with uh, every single person who would meet your mom. Um, it didn't ever really bother me. Um, and, and obviously I was more than happy to, you know, discuss it with people because a lot of times it's more their curiosity um, you know, every once in a while you'll get the, the mean look. You know, I, I don't know if Julius you never saw it, but walking around, you know, more when you're a teenager behind your mom. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you know I was standing 5'11", uh, you know, 6 foot. My mom is 5'4", walking through, a con- you know, a, a department store. That's a little bit more difficult than when you're young and kids just ask you about it. Yeah, so you did exp- – well, we're going to come back to the teen. I'm going to come back to the teen, what you just described. Let me let me hear Mariette's experience of whether it was it bothered her that her family stood out in public. Well, my experience was a little bit different because I had four other siblings, so we were kind of a ragtag group altogether. Um, but I definitely relate um, to what they were saying about that adoptees kind of have this burden on them that everywhere they go they have to have an explanation of who they are. And, you know, for other kids, when their parents can pick them up, um, like you were saying, it's like, okay, you know, I'm going home with mom and dad. But when our parents would come pick us up, it was always like, you know, who is this? What's going on? And so we always had to have an explanation, and it, it was always up to us to kind of tell the story of our adoption. And after a while, you get tired of it. After a while, you just want to be like everyone else on a blend day. You don't want to always have to explain yourself. So I think for me, that's that frustrating, always having to explain myself. Okay. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, I wanted to come back to uh, something. I think it was Andrew. You were the one who was just speaking, talking about um, as it's it's one thing to have um, a little brown child um, holding his mother's hand, his white mother's hand, but our society might perceive it differently if it was a five eleven or a six foot uh, tall black man, black teen. Uh, trailing uh, his white mom, and and as if he was a typical teen, may perhaps scowling at her. Um, was that ever a issue for uh, Andrew? You said that you had incidences in your teen years where that was a problem. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, when I say a problem, you know, I you know I don't want anyone to think that you know this there's this you know horrible stigma that we went through and, and had to deal with our entire lives, but it was just one of those things where, you know, like Julius said earlier, you get a lot of the double takes. You get a lot of the, is he with her, and, and how are they related? Um, it's one of those things where it's embarrassing enough going shopping with your mom. You know, I love her death, <laughs> but, you know, she always always made me try everything on. Um, but, oh, you know, gosh, it just so adds... Oh, <laughs> I know, it, it was. But it always <laughs> yeah. just adds kind of, kind of one more degree to, you know, a situation. Were you ever embarrassed that your mother was a different race? Not, I'm not asking about the the looks, um, but did it ever embarrass you that your mom didn't look like you? I mean, other, I mean, our parents uh, um, are embarrassing generally. I mean, just when you're a teen, your parents can just be embarrassing. I, I speak as the mother of teens now. I will add, um, it, but uh, did it ever embarrass you that your mom didn't look like you? And Andrew, I was asking you that question. Uh, sure. Um, n- I can never remember being embarrassed by my mother. I can remember, yeah, never, not once. I can remember times where, depending where we are, I got looks, but it wasn't necessarily, I got looks that bothered me, but it wasn't necessarily because I was a, a transracial uh, adoption. They weren't, you know, looking at me, oh, my God, there's a transracial adoptee. Mm-hmm. It was more of, the place that we were wasn't becoming to people that looked like me regardless of who my parents would have been. You understand? You kind of know what I mean? Yeah, I don't give know me an example can... of 
give me an example of a place like that. I know exactly what you're saying. Or I think I do, but give me an example. Just basically like, uh, you know, in the it, – it's hard because I don't want to stereotype any particular place or any, you know, group yeah, of people or anything you. like that. But as a, as a minority, there will always be times when you stick out in a place where maybe nobody's ever seen a minority before or rarely. <laughs> um, and when you're with your mother, I felt more bad for her just because it, it kind of, like it felt bad and embarrassed for her that basically we were there and she was getting the looks and the scowls as well, more or less because I was there as well. Does that make any sense? Julius, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you've ever had yeah. something like that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, I was actually going to kind of tag into that, that, um, you know, kind of uh, part of the issue is, um, you know, for or to give an example, I guess, is just a little easier way to do it. So um, I remember one time I was in a department store with my mom. And um, so, you know, the assumption is, obviously, like we're talking about, that I wasn't with her. So I had um, someone just come up to me, and, you know, I was a teenager. I think I was 14 or 15, and um, like we were saying, you know, I'm much taller than my mom, um, and we look nothing alike, obviously. So this woman came up to me, and she asked me if I work there. And, you know, that's, you know, kind of what you're saying. You know, they are assuming, um, you know, not just because, you know, I'm African-American, um, but, you know, because we weren't associated, they assumed I worked there, and then, you know, that got my mom upset, and that's, you know, kind of, where this becomes an issue, um, you know, it's not really an issue for me. Um, I'm fine with, you know, explaining the people and, you know, kind of getting the look because, to be honest, you know, if I was from, um, you know, a single-race family, I probably would, you know, maybe give a, a double take as well. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of sad for my mom to have to explain to someone, you know, he's my son, you know, um, or like when I would go to a school event and they check me in. Um, and because my uh, one of my parents, I have a different last name from, so they'd come in and give her name, give my name, and then you know the next question is, oh well, who 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 is that to you? And you know mm-hmm. she give them a look. You know it's my son, and um, you know so that was uh, you know kind of where the issues arose. I just kind of felt bad for my my parents having you know having raised two children, um, going through all the stuff that you go through raising children. You know having to explain to people that you know this is our family. You know this is. This is who we are, you know. Mm-hmm. Mariette, what did your parents do that, or, or did they, I suppose that should be the beginning question, did they do things that made it easier for you to be in a mixed-race adoptive family? Um, I mean, obviously having, I'm the oldest of five adopted children, so I feel like having them and kind of growing up with them and, being able to kind of relate our experiences really helped. Um, But also my parents uh, had um, other friends who adopted from Haiti, and so we would, you know, play with them and they would introduce us to them. So that really helped, like finding families who, A, have adopted children or have black children or being friends with people who look like us. That really helped us growing up. Okay. Andrew, what about you? Uh, I think one of the things that probably helped me the most was just, you know, my mom was always open with me about it. Um, but I also think, uh, you know, I I can't uh, imagine being kind of the, the first one coming up in it. Because um, my brother is four years older than me and was adopted four years before me. So basically by the time in our hometown when I was there, everyone already kind of knew my family. They kind of already knew my brother. They kind of knew that my parents had adopted um, and many of the kids in my class, their brothers and sisters, were in my brother's class. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I, I kind of at times would get off a little bit easier in, in that sense just because my brother had to go through it before I did. Um, and just kind of making it a, a com- more of a community, um, you know, knowledge and community awareness, you know, not necessarily posting pictures of our family saying this is our family all over, you know, town, but just from being in, in um, organized things from Little League and, mm-hmm. and and all of that, and having people know kind of who our family was, it made it a little easier. Yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. And we often say, or I often say, pretty soon your family becomes old news. Um, even if you live, I mean, even if you live in a bigger city, you run kind of in the same circles, and you start seeing the same people. And and it doesn't take long for people to go, oh, that's just the the Johnson family, or that's just the you know whatever family, the Williams family, or whatever. You become old news. Uh, Julius, 
Anything specifically that you can think of that your parents did that made it easier for you to grow up in a mixed-race family? Um, yeah, they um, they did a couple of things. Um, first, um, you know, like was said before, they were super open about it, um, which helps a lot, you know, if I you know ever had a problem or if I ever had a question about it, always willing to talk about it with me. Um, also, um, they have a, a group of friends, actually, that they pulled together uh, when me and my brother were adopted who were adopting um, transracially at the time as well. So we had a group of people that we called our adoption group, um, which was a bunch of transracial families who had adopted kids. Uh, most of them had more than one adopted kid around our age. So, you know, where I grew up was a very kind of, um, you know, not very diverse, uh, you know, area, I guess um, is how to put it. So for me, it was really helpful to see that, you know, hidden within this place where, you know, I don't really see too many African-American people, there are families that, you know, not only have adopted kids but have transracial adopted kids that, you know, are my age. I can relate to them. And, you know, it was just nice to see that. Um, so we saw them every so often, went on trips with them to kind of, um, you know, put everyone's family, um, you know, a little at ease and kind of comfort the kids a little bit, which was nice. Okay, yeah. Uh, anything else before we move off of that, that that you felt like they did that made it easier for you? Um, okay. Not really that I can think of. Um, That's fine. No, I just, just didn't want to change. I wanted to pick up on something you said. So, uh, Julius, you didn't you didn't grow up in a particularly diverse area. Mariette, what about you? Did you grow up in a diverse area, neighborhood Not where really. there was a lot of? I I grew up in um, Vancouver, Canada, a little t- a little town outside of that area. And um, I mean, my brothers and sisters, we went to a really small Christian school, and we were the only um, black students at the school. And then, as other families started to adopt in our area, they we were all at the same school. So the only black students at our school were all adopted from Haiti. Um, but outside of that, no. Like, most of my interactions with my friends, my teachers, any anyone else outside of that were all white. Okay. And, Andrew, what about you? Um, I was fairly in a really uh, multicultural place where I grew up in um, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, even though it might not sound like that, it's... Um, one of the larger cities there in PA, and there's there's um, tons of diversity there. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. And do you think it, uh, since you're the one that that actually grew up in a more diverse area, do you think, Andrew, that it uh, did it make it easier for you growing up in a diverse area, or do you think it wouldn't have mattered either way? I'm not, a, you know, a hundred percent sure. Um, you know, because I, I wouldn't want to take anything o- away from anything else anyone else went through, and I, and I haven't experienced kind of growing up in a non-diverse area, such as um, you know the other two in our in our talk here. Um, I do feel that at times it would make it easier um, because you know there was a couple interracial families within already, um, but at the same time it also kind of has its own. Uh, problems that comes with being in a diverse area with people of multiple different ethnicities and kind of those same expectations still remain. I mean, even if I was with, you know, my black friends or Hispanic friends and they would see my mother, they wouldn't expect her to be white. Um, If I was with my white friends, they still wouldn't expect my mother to be white. So even growing up in kind of a culturally different area, those same type of I wouldn't say stereotypes, but those same types of assumptions on what your mother would look like still hold true depend no matter what the race is. Yeah, I can see your point. That's true. Right, you are listening to Creating a Family. Today we're talking with a three transracially adopted uh, young people, well, not young people, young adults. Um, I didn't ask your ages. I think all of you guys are in your 20s. Uh, creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks. And we would love to have you join us. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. Uh, we have, of course, a Facebook page. You can find that at facebook.com slash creatingafamily. We also have a very large and very active support group. It is a closed support group, so you have to join it, but we will uh, uh, ask to join it, and but we will let you in. Um, the easiest way to find that is to type the words creating a family in the search, Facebook search box, 
both the page and the group will pop up. You can like the page and join the group. You can also connect with me personally. I am Dawn.Davenport1 on Facebook. We have uh, 30 Pinterest boards. We really love Pinterest around here. So we hang out on Pinterest. And on both Pinterest and Twitter and Google+, Plus. you can find us at Creating a Family. That's how that's our, our tag over there. Um, the other thing, okay, we have a question of um, it from again. This is also from Holly. She wants to know if there were uh, if your families purposely included multiple races and cultures in your lives. Uh, and uh, I think that um, Julia, you have said your your parents made an active decision to try to do that. Uh, Andrew. Did I think you've, you you grew up in a diverse area? Did your parents uh, go out of their way intentionally to uh, make certain that there were in their friend group that there were um, uh, uh, families of color, uh, other uh, adoptive families as well as non-adoptive families of color? Um, no, I, I don't think they kind of went out of their way. Um, you know, it more or less just became you know because they were kind of a lot more laid back and, and kind of let things be how they are. Um, I don't think they make an, made an active choice to include certain cultures or anything else. Um, it just kind of, you know, w- would happen as it would happen. And, and Mariette, uh, how about your family? Um, there was a group of people around you who were all adopting from Haiti, but did mm-hmm. your parents uh, go out of their way to incorporate other people of color into their um, into their friend group, into their social group, into their professional group, their doctors or, you know, dentists or whatever? No, not really. Um, I think, like, my parents had their hands full with the five of us, so, um, you know, we kind of branched out, and we, like I said, we made friends, we interacted with other people, but I don't think they really, you know, besides the group of adopted children who are being adopted from Haiti, outside of that, there wasn't necessarily a pointed effort to introduce us to other people, other diverse people. Would that have been something you wish they had done, or do you care, it's not something you care one way or the other about? I mean, I think any child growing up would benefit from interacting with people who look like them. Um, But like I said, I think, you know, I don't want to say that, oh, I would have been a completely different person had I had more black (laughs) friends. I, I don't know if that is entirely true. Um, but I do think that, that any child benefits from having friends or people around them that look like them. Okay. Julius, did you experience racism as a child or a teen, or do you experience it now as a young adult? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's not usually, um, you know, it's not something I think that people do on purpose. It kind of goes back. Um, the people kind of being, you know, what we were talking about before, about people being curious and just kind of not knowing what's going on. Um, you know, like I said before, I, I grow uh, or I live right now. I, I grew up in a relatively um, diverse town, but then I moved when I was uh, about eight years old to a town that's predominantly white. So as a result, you know, the high school I went to was um, almost all white. So it was, you know, and kind of little things, um, day-to-day stuff, you know, um, you know, a coach asking, you know, because we had a a program that had kids from Boston who are of color come to our school because, you know, it was literally, you know, there are no black kids in my school other than that, basically. Um, so, you know, they would ask me, oh, you know, can you can you make it to practice early, um, you know, assuming that I was coming from Boston, you know, kind of stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think it was, you know, I'm going to make a racist comment here, but, you know, it was just little stuff like that just because, um, you know, they weren't really used to, um, having African Americans around, or you know, assume that I would I would li- even live in the town that you know I was going to school in. Andrew, what about you? What has been your experience, both as a child and a teen and, and as an adult, uh, with racism? I think that you know, when you're a, a person of color, at some point in your life, you know, you you feel some type of racism, be it kind of an overt racist act or even just kind of the the small day-to-day things that people don't realize. Um, You know, I I live in in New York City right now, and obviously they have a a lot of things that that go on here. Um, But, you know, just throughout my life, there was small things. There were some that were larger. Um, And I think that 
you know, as a whole, that's just something that kind of comes with, with the territory of being a, a minority in in the world. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. I know that that sounds kind of almost bad, but, you know, mm-hmm. without getting into any details, you know, it, it does happen from time to time. Mm-hmm. Did your parents prepare you to experience racism? Did they help you? Uh, did they help you figure out how to cope with it? And Andrew, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that you know we talked about and and that they felt and they knew. Um, my mom was actually from a really small um, coal mining town uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, um, so she actually you know. <laughs> was around it growing up um to an extent um and and that's something that you know she prepared me for and um you know her and my father used would talk about and and something that does need to be talked about um and sometimes it can be you know difficult and you know things that I might see as racist others may not um just because they don't have it happen as often you know walking down the street in the middle of the night coming across someone and having them move to the other side. Um, exactly, you know, yeah. Li- li- I think it's li- hard li- for white like people to know that. I think you're exactly right. I think parents can mean very well, but the reality is they walk, they live in the world in white skin. And uh, so, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Mariette, did your parents do anything to help you or your siblings um, prepare for the racism you might face and and help you figure out how best to cope with it? Um, I remember my first incident when I was, I probably must have been in like second or third grade, and um, I was riding a school bus, and one of the older boys leaned over to me, and he was like, go back to your own country, you immigrant. And so I was so confused. I was like, what are you talking about? So I went home, and I told my mom, and she was like, you know, just ignore him. If anyone says anything to you, just ignore it. And so that kind of became the way that I dealt with it, which I don't know is the best way to deal with it. And so later on when I did have um, other things happen, I wouldn't tell my parents, and I would just kind of ignore it and just kind of hope that it would go away. So that's kind of how I dealt with it growing up. And, and Marriott, why wouldn't you tell your parents? Um, I didn't. I don't think I didn't want to upset them, and then I didn't know. Like I didn't know what they could do. You know, if I go home and tell my parents, okay, this person, I got an argument with someone today, and they call me the N word. Okay, what are my parents going to do about it? You know, and so I just didn't see there was a point in telling them, and so I just didn't tell them, and I just ignored it, and I just hoped that it would go away. And, and uh, Andrew, when you experienced uh, racism, did you talk about it with your parents, or did you also just deal with it on your own and, and choose not to tell them? Similar, similar stories as, as she does. I mean, when you're first, when you're young, you don't really know what it is, so you go and tell your parents, and you know they deal with it however they see fit. And then as you get older, when you know what it is, you just kind of don't even bring it up anymore. Because, um, you know, like she said, there's not really anything they could do. You know, why worry them? You know, if it was absolutely blatant and, and physical harm could come to me, then sure, I would tell them. But other than that, no, I didn't really ever tell them. Hmm. And, you know, one of the things that uh, we hear a lot, a lot of parents, especially of, of African-American boys, uh, and this is parents of color as well as as white parents who have adopted uh, African American boys. They worry now about how to raise a black son and prepare him to be a proud black and, and, and a safe man in America. I mean, no doubt this has certainly been exacerbated by the the Trayvon Martin shooting and the Michael Brown shooting. So the, the parents wonder, what can we do to prepare our sons to be safe, uh, but also to be proud of who they are. But we also want them not to be. We want them to be safe, uh, and this may be more than you guys are not parents. So uh, I, I'm asking you as, uh, and I, I'll direct this. Well, I'll direct it to all of you, but I'll, I'll start with you guys. Uh, and uh, again, I realize you aren't parents, so you may not have thought through uh, how to to raise any potential sons uh, in facing this issue. But do you have anything to say that your parents did that you can think of did, that that they talked to you about? 
uh, in order to uh, help you know how to navigate the world in your in your skin. Uh, Julius. Um, yeah, I would just say, um, you know, kind of like my, I was going to say, you know, kind of how my parents pre- prepared me was basically um, just making sure that they're aware um, that it's out there. Um, you know, my parents always briefed me kind of, you know, that people are racist, um, you know, they do exist, so you need to be aware of it and act accordingly. Um, and what that meant in my case is, you know, always be respectful, you know, don't give someone a reason or an excuse to to make a racist comment or to, um, you know, do something like that. Just kind of, you know, be your own person, be respectful, um, and, you know, kind of go about your own business. And, um, you know, in terms of um, coping with a a racist event, um, you know, in my perspective, um, you know, someone being racist to me, um, you know, doesn't, uh, I know it sounds kind of weird, but it really doesn't bother me. Um, And, you know, that's kind of why, you know, like they were saying before that, you know, I wouldn't really, tell my parents if I had a racist event happen to me because personally I kind of just see it as, you know, ignorance on their part has nothing to do with me. Um, You know, if you, um, you know, are going to think that about me or talk about me like that, you know, that's on you. Um, I personally know, you know, it's not true. So, you know, why would I let that affect me? So that's kind of my attitude. I've always taken kind of the attitude my parents have given me that just, you know, there are racist people out there. um, So just know that. And um, when you deal, you know, when you encounter it, act accordingly. Don't escalate the situation, um, and you know, I guess kind of let it roll off your back. And um, I just kind of move on from it. Uh, all good advice, I would add. Um, uh, Andrew, anything that your parents um, talked to you about? About um, in Joyce's case, be respectful and don't escalate. Um, um, and I would add, get the heck out of there. But. Uh, Anything else that did your parents share with you about how to keep yourself safe? Um, just kind of, you know, really similar to, to what he said, um, you know, making sure that you do realize it's out there. Um, and I think also that realize that you will be judged by your skin at some point and that, you know, you will have to be at times twice as good to get the same type of treatment. Um, you know, you won't get away with saying things or, or doing things if you're stopped by the police that others might, or you, you know, won't be able to act in a certain way without being judged in a certain way as others might. So it's just always, you know, like Julia said, I mean, be it fair, be it not, having to be on your best behavior at all times, but even a step further. Mm-hmm. The Marriott. Mm-hmm. Um, I those are really interesting answers, and I totally agree. And I feel like um, I I'm actually married, and I have two children. So my son is 18 months old, um, and so obviously he's <laughs> too young to really understand anything. But I will be saying the same things to my son that there is unfortunately a bit of a double standard for some people in our society, and he has to be aware of it. And I grew up with that same awareness. Like when I go to a restaurant and I don't like something, if I become loud and belligerent and angry, I'm the angry black woman, and I'm treated differently if someone of another race, you know, would become angrier or whatever. So I'm completely aware that I can act a certain way, and there's certain things that I can and can't do in public, and I can't do anything about that, but that's just the way it is, and I think I need to teach my son. Unfortunately, right now, this is the way it is, that you need to, I think, number one, um, teaching black men not to fear authority or to fear the cops because, like, my husband was raised in South Florida and he just has a perception. He's like, growing up, people were just afraid of the police. And I said, I've never really experienced that growing up. Like, you know, I was, you know, middle class background and, like, the police were, like, our friends. They were, you know, it wasn't ever a thing that they were out to get us. And so I think that's the... Another thing we have to change is that they're not out to get you, per se, and so I think that changes your interaction when you feel like this person is on your side and not necessarily someone who's out to get you. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it absolutely does. Uh, And I I hadn't thought about it particularly as being something that parents, but you're right, that is something that parents uh, can give the attitude is that but I think that you, you also have to take it one step further, and, and it, it seems to me that uh, 
take it a step further and say, yes, you, you still have to be, you still can't get away with, but I, I'm not sure anybody can get away with mm-hmm. being um, certainly aggressive with police um, regardless. Uh, but, yeah, I think you have to, you do want your children to not be afraid, uh, but you also want to keep them, you want them to be to be safe. Mm-hmm. You are listening to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility. We are so glad to have you with us on this Creating a Family show where we have a panel of young adult transracial adoptees talking about their experience growing up as well as their experience as adults now. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletters. We let you know about the latest developments in adoption and infertility. Uh, And also we add four, almost every week we add four and and often five or six um, uh, pieces of new uh, educational content to our site and uh, through our newsletters how you would find out about what we've added because it might be something of interest to you. You can sign up for our uh, weekly newsletters uh, on any page of our website, top right-hand side. One of the things that that uh, adoptive parents, uh, particularly in a transracial adoption situation, that that we worry about, is is we want our kids to have a healthy sense of their racial identity. Um, did you always think of yourself as fully black or, or African American, or were you ever confused about your racial identity? Uh, we hear some people say that they 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 knew that the world may have seen them as black, but they they felt like they were white. They were that, that and and that was a confusing thing for them. Mariette, um, I that's really funny because I kind of struggled with that when I moved down to Florida, and everyone always told me, "You talk like a white girl. Why do you sound white? Oh, you're white." <laughs> so. I really felt like growing up I never fit into the white world, but then I came down to South Florida, and for a long time I never felt like I fit into the black world. And so I really was, like, in the middle. I was completely in limbo. Um, And I think it took me a while to really accept myself and, you know, this is who I am. I'm a product of my my upbringing, my circumstances. I don't have to fit into anyone's box. But it did. It was really hard for a while um, being in college and people just thinking, you're not really black. You don't talk black. You don't dress like you're black. You don't listen to, you know, quote-unquote black music. So it was difficult for a while. What helped you? How did you... Was it just maturity that reconciled that for you, or did you actively do something that that made it better for you? No, I just realized I don't have to fit into their box. And it's like I can, you know, listen to John Mayer and I can still be black. (laughs) And, like, being black (laughs) has nothing to do with, you know, how you dress, how you talk, how you act. It has nothing to do with that. And it was just maturity and just going through that and realizing that I don't necessarily fit into any one box and it's completely okay. I love that. I can listen to John Mayer and still be black. I like that. (laughs) Um, uh, Andrew, uh, did you ever struggle with am I black or am I white? Where do I fit? How do I fit into my racial identity? Um, I wouldn't say that I ever kind of struggled struggled with it. Kind of similar to what she was saying, you you know, you kind of are who you are. You don't really see anything different until other people try to put you in in some sort of categorical box that you're supposed to fit in. Um, when I was in college, I played football, and uh, my nickname was the Suburban Bro because um, I wasn't mm-hmm. black, but I wasn't you know white, obviously. Um, and like she said, it's just a, a maturity thing that ends up coming that, you know, because I speak the way I speak, it, it makes me, I, I don't even know what a black person speaks like, to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so like she said, it's just you, you get used to it and then you get over it as you get older because most of the people who say that don't really matter anyway. Julius, what about you? Um, yeah, I had, um, you know, kind of a similar experience in that, you know, I experienced people, oh, you know, you don't talk, um, you know, like we expected you to or anything like that. Um, but I always had, uh, I guess, you know, people didn't say it as like a negative thing, really. It was kind of just like, oh, you're a little bit different from us. That's kind of cool, actually, because, you know, a lot of my friends had never had a black friend before because they grew up in an area where, you know, literally everyone you see is white every day. Um, and, you know, also... 
I kind of think as of right now, um, you know, especially um, now that I'm a little bit older, more mature, I kind of, um, I almost like it in a way um, because I can kind of fit in with two different groups of people. You know, on the outside, um, you know, I'm accepted as a black person. Um, you know, black people, you know, they're very receptive to me, you know, always willing to talk, everything like that. And at the same time, um, because I guess as people would describe it on the inside, I was white, um, you know, that's something that I can use to my advantage. And, you know, I'm not as intimidating to someone who may otherwise be intimidated intimidated by someone um, who's African-American or something like that just because they can't really, you know, relate to them. But, you know, because I grew up with white people, because, you know, I'm college educated, you know, everything like that, um, you know, I, I've been able to kind of fit in with two different groups, which is kind of nice for me um, that, you know, I have two different groups of people who can accept me for different reasons. And you never felt that uh, that your black friends judged you because you weren't black enough? Um, I'll be I'll be honest with you. Uh, I think I've uh, had probably three, three black friends in my entire life. Um, that's I, just because of where I've grown up, I, I don't really have any black friends. Okay, and uh, Mariette, when when you described being um, not really fitting into the into the the, the black social networks at, at at school, was that because they didn't feel that that you, was your perception that they didn't feel like you were black enough? Yeah, I mean, it was really funny. I, you know, grew up in Canada, and so I wanted to have, you know, I wanted something completely opposite from what I grew up in. So I applied to a historically black college where it was literally 99% of the population on campus was black. So I immersed myself right into that. And so yeah. coming in, you know, they, I was just an alien. I was, you know, basically an outsider um, coming in. And so um, it was hard. Like, you know, the first the first couple years of college, it was really hard. And so I joined a sorority. I played volleyball. Like, I really wanted to, like, get, I guess, the black experience that I felt I missed out on growing up. And like I said, it just, it was a maturity thing, finding out that this isn't necessarily what I needed. I didn't need to, you know, go to the school and become black or whatever. And it's like, I was just fine with who I was. Okay. Got it. And, and Andrew, was it, did did you ever feel that you didn't fit with the the black circle, and I'm going to say either at high school or college, because I do think that I think you almost have to be at that age, and I think for a lot of people, it's college where it really it it really kind of hits. Uh, I've talked to a lot of transracial adoptees, and it's you know you're under your parents' kind of umbrella when you're growing up, and 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 people know you as your parents even in high school for the most part, unless you go to a really large school, people know you as your parents child but in college that's not the case uh you are your own person and was that an issue when you went to college or did you go to a college that was predominantly white and andrew i was actually asking you that question sure um i went to a, a college that was was kind of mixed it was actually it was um down in uh maryland um but you know when i first got there there were times and there were things that i didn't know and part of it was kind of cultural um, part of it was, you know, the slang that people used, but a lot of it was also just from where they were, not necessarily mm-hmm. just because they were black. Right. Because um, some of the guys that, that, you know, just happened to be black were from kind of more of the deep south, you know, like the Floridas, the Georgias, um, whereas I was from the northeast. Um, but it definitely is something that's different. I mean, it's just um, a, a cultural thing, you know, no different than if anyone else, you know, from, a, you know, a white you know, community would go into a black community, see the different cultural differences. That's more or less what it was. Um, and I just didn't share a lot of those similar cultural habits or, or tendencies that, that they had. Okay. Now we're going to kind of come to the, the advice part of the, uh, of the show. Uh, a lot of the people who are going to be listening to this show are either considering or have already adopted transracially. So this is your time to kind of, uh, what we're hoping to do is, uh, make it uh, easier uh, for this next generation, although it doesn't sound like any of you had necessarily a particularly difficult time. So maybe I should say make it as easy uh, for uh, this next generation of transracial adoptees. So what advice would you give to transracial adoptive parents who are currently raising children of color 
um, either things that your parents did well that you wish they had done or just things you've thought on of your own um, that uh, you think would uh, be make it easier. We'll start with you, Julius. Um, I would just say, um, you know, from time to time, just, you know, kind of check in and, and see how things are going with it. Um, you know, my parents, like, you know, kind of discussed, I think everyone's are kind of the same in, in this group, um, that they were very open with me, which helped a lot. Um, so I knew that if I had a question, if I had a concern, if there was an issue at school, um, that I could talk to my parents about it, um, which is really helpful. You know, I didn't necessarily take advantage of it, but um, at least it was there as an option. Um, and, you know, along the same lines, um, you know, I, I uh, hadn't really spoke about, um, you know, my doctor and, and people like that in my life. You know, my parents would always ask me, you know, are you more comfortable with uh, a person of color being your doctor? Or do you want us to try to find you, um, you know, a tutor that's a person of color? Would that make you more comfortable? And, you know, my answer was always no, but at least, you know, I had that option in case that was an issue to me. Um, you know, I could have someone um, in, you know, a support group with my parents that they would, you know, cater to my needs and help me out if, if that was, you know, an issue for me. If that had become important to you. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Andrew. Um, as far as kind of the advice would go, I would just simply say, you know, kind of the, the way it seems that everyone else's parents in, in here were as well, is just being open being caring and, you know, understand the, the, some of the trials that you will have to go to and go through um, in regards to the race barrier, some of the discomfort and some of the um, awkwardness at times. But I think that at the end of the day, just taking away the fact that, you know, there is race. I mean, at the end of the day, kids don't care. Um, and when you're kind of adopted younger, at least as I was, I don't know if the same is for Julius, by the time that I was 11, 12, it wasn't even a factor anymore. Um, and I think that, you know, with adoption as a whole, whether it be, you know, transracial, you know, whatever type of adoption you, you tend to go, as long as you kind of love the child with your whole heart, as my mother did, they'll never be embarrassed by it. They'll never be uh, sorry that, that they are part of your family. Um and as far as everything else, it'll just be trial and error, just like raising any other kid. Which is a lot of raising kids, <laughs> trial and error. <laughs> Mariette, what about you? You're kind of in a unique position because you actually have children, uh, so it may be easier for you to think of an advice, although I think you and your husband are both uh, African-American, so I'm, or you are Haitian-American, or I'm not sure you're American. You may be Haitian-Canadian. Uh, but uh, you are black in America, living in America, so your experiences might be a little different. But what advice would you give transracial um, uh, parents, who, adoptive parents? Um, I think um, the advice given so far has been really good. And just to add to that, I just think um, not just basically don't pretend um, that differences don't exist. No, I think I have spoken to some parents who reached out to me uh, through my blog asking advice, and um, they want to pretend like there's not going to be any problems, and they just want to pretend like if they love their kids enough, then they can, there won't be any issues. And, you know, just letting them know basically that you'll have some tough times and your kid might have some tough times and they'll be okay, they can get through it, but just don't pretend that everything's okay. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things when I was talking about parents just to ignore the racism, you know, instead of having a discussion like, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. Why would someone say this to you? And, like, let's, you know, get to the heart of it. And then I, I think I would have had an easier time opening up over the years when things like that would have happened instead of just holding it in. Um, so I think, like, the advice I was given before, be open, be honest, be ready, um, but don't pretend like there's not going to be any problems because there will. There will be some issues um, you face when you have a transracial adoption. All right. And, uh, Mariette, were there any resources or books that you remember uh, growing up as being helpful? Did your parents buy you um, brown baby dolls? Uh, did they uh, insist that you have a Barbie that that was a Barbie of color? Although they they, they did they do make them, but they're they're, they're not very much of color. Um, but anyway, um, did they do or, or did they read you books? Uh, were there things resources and that you happen to remember that uh, that stuck out in your head as either being helpful or or not? 
Yeah, my parents, they bought us um, dolls. Like, I remember having dolls that were um, black, and they we had storybooks. One of my favorite stories was Mufar's Beautiful Daughters. I don't know if you've heard of that book. Um, wait, wait, say the name again. Wait, wait, say the name again. Okay, Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters. Um, it's basically it's an African folktale, and so my mom, my mom would read that book to me a lot when I was growing up. Um, but they did a lot when I was a child. Growing up, it was it's a little bit harder, I think. You know, as a thirteen, fourteen year old, how do you, um, you know, provide books, you know, for that age group? But growing up, I did have some things to help. Okay, and and you may not have any memory of this, but was having dolls that shared your skin tone, if it did, if they did, uh, was did that make a difference, or do you think that you wouldn't have cared either way? No, I think it did. And as an adult, I look back and I appreciate that they did that. So I think that um, even if I didn't understand it as a three or four or five-year-old, I think looking back, I'm like, okay, you know, they made an effort that, you know, at least I had some dolls to play with that looked like me. Yeah. Uh, Andrew? Any uh, resources or books uh, that you remember from growing up? Um, as far as kind of the, the books and, and everything went, there's nothing that kind of stuck out in my mind that would 100% be for people within kind of the, the transracial adoption um, book. But if people are looking for kind of, uh, you know, maybe a, a children's book that's a little bit more, um, you know, kind of African-American or like an African folktale, I do always remember this one called The Baby Leopard that my mom used to read because um, about how leopards got their spots. But other than that, um, no, I, I don't remember anything um, 100%. Um, that would that would be of use. And, and for our audience, we will look up these books, and if they're still in print, we will add them to our suggested books for children in transracial adoption. We have the best of the best books uh, section of our website, and and we will add all of these so you can go there and see it. Uh, Julius, how about you? Um, yeah, kind of the same thing. I mean, I had, um, you know, multiracial dolls. My parents bought me dolls when I was a kid and everything like that. Um, you know, at the time, kind of like what was said before, it didn't really register to me um, that there was a difference between the dolls, which um, in hindsight kind of just made me in general um, kind of, I guess, colorblind, um, and it helped with that. Just the general idea that, you know, a black and white doll, it's still a doll, it's the same thing. So, you know, just having that, being exposed to that, and then again, like I said about the adoption group we had, um, just being exposed to that and just seeing that, you know, there's nothing wrong with a black doll, there's nothing wrong with having, um, you know, white parents when you're black. And, um, you know, additionally, I have, uh, I um, I don't think it's the case with the other two here, but I actually have two moms. So there was that factor as well, that, you know, it's okay to have two moms. That's our family. You know, we function just like every other family, and, um, you know, it doesn't really make a difference either way. And so, and that was, a yeah, a separate issue uh, growing up that made your family a little different, and I would imagine yeah, that they yeah. sought out um, um, role models and, and other families that were like yours as well in, in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um we have a email question that came in from Teresa. She she wanted to know if uh, she she is a transracial adoptive mom and she is worried that her daughter will grow up wishing that she was white. And she wants to know if if any of you have had that had that experience. She does not say whether her daughter has had that experience or if she is just. It, it appears that she is just concerned that her daughter might. Um, Let's say, uh, let's see, Julius, we'll start with you. Um, I mean, I I don't really think I've um, had that experience just, you know, again, just because I've had a very supportive network my whole life. Um, You know, I can kind of see, you know, especially when you're younger, that may become an issue. Um, You know, I remember because I I went to an all-boys middle school, um, and, you know, going to school with all boys is, you know, they're a little more rough with the teasing and everything like that. So, you know, there are obviously there are times when, you know, I wish, I, you know, I would say I wish I was white in the sense that, you know, I wish I just, like I was saying, before, you know, very early in the conversation, I wish I just blended in. And no one, you know, no one double took me, you know, no one's looking at me just because I'm black, just because, like, uh, you know, on the outside I, I stick out or something like that. But other than that, I mean, um, my whole life I, you know, grew up pretty comfortable with who I was. And, 
Um, you know, like I said, my parents were very supportive, and they, you know, they always reassured me that, you know, there's nothing wrong with me and there's nothing wrong with our family. Um, so I've always grown up with that mentality that, you know, if, if someone thinks there's an issue with me, you know, being who I am, you know, that's not that's their problem, not mine. Yeah, that's probably their issue. Um, yeah. Andrew, any thoughts for Teresa on uh, her concern that her jo- daughter might grow up wishing that she were white? Uh, I think kind of similar to what Julia said, it, it would more or less, I, I think, be one of those, you know, single solitary cases where something happens and for whatever reason things would just be easier, you know, had she fit in, had she been white. But I, I think that that's a, a passing phase and and that's something that you know her daughter might you know cross through her mind at some point but as she gets older and more mature and you know those you know little things that pass as you're a child that seem like the end of the world you know go by then then she'll be fine and and that you know won't be an issue i i believe and uh mariette what do you think what are your thoughts on that yeah i think um Boys and girls have, transversally adopted boys and girls have much different experiences. And I think that because our culture places so much emphasis on physical appearance and beauty with women, um, I had a hard experience growing up. And I think I wanted to have blonde hair and blue eyes. Like, I always wanted that growing up. Um, and so I, I definitely know where this moment's coming from because there's not a lot of representation of black women in media. And I think um, surrounding her with that maybe, um, like cutting out pictures of magazines, I don't know how old she is, but like cutting out pictures of magazines, like making a collage of like beautiful faces of all different skin colors and letting her know that this isn't the only thing out there, you know, having, you know, long hair and beauty comes in all different shapes and it looks different. I think that that would that would help a lot with her daughter. That's a great idea. And, and do you I thought, don't you think that it might make a difference now that our first lady is a is a beautiful black woman that right. that that changes our you know it's you know all you got to do is turn on the TV or you know open up the newspaper or a magazine and you see a strong beautiful black woman uh, would that have made it easier and that's kind of a silly question because how do you know since it wasn't didn't exist until you were right. already in your 20s but uh, although right. you probably were in your young twenties when uh when she was first or uh, when um her husband was first elected um did that make a difference for you as far as your idea of of beauty absolutely, and I think it's great because I feel like there's for a very long time, the only black women you saw in the media were you know light skin with a certain type like there's just a certain type of black woman and so I appreciate no, but Oprah Winfrey, have, Oprah Winfrey, she was right, not. Right, that's right, Oprah Winfrey. Um, but, you know, Lupita Nyong'o, who just won um, the Oscar for Best Actress, um, right. you know, dark skin, short hair, and it's like you see that it's like all different types of black women are represented, not just one type. And so I think that we're making progress, definitely. We're making progress. Yeah, which is, which is good. Yeah, I agree with you. You are listening to Creating a Family. Our mission at Creating a Family is to provide unbiased, accurate information to those who are touched by adoption or infertility. We have a lot of resources on our site for transracial adoption. We also, as I mentioned, have books for children, uh, and all of those can be found at our website, creatingafamily.org. I'd also like to uh, thank, first of all, thank you guys so much, uh, Julius Johnson, Mariette Williams, and Andrew Lee, for being on our show today. I do want to take a moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we can bring you this show as well as all the resources at Creating a Family. We have Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation, home studies, and post-adoption services and support. We have Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a national adoption agency with offices in North Carolina and New York, and they place children from Bulgaria, Georgia, Ghana, Armenia, Morocco, and Serbia. And we have the Independent Adoption Center. Their mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states, but they're fully licensed in California, New York, 
Florida, Texas, and actually in more than that. And last but not least, the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina firm committed to adoption and assisted reproductive law. To get more information, well, first of all, let me say that if you're interested uh, in the topics of this show, transracial adoption, please uh, join us or please look up my blog tomorrow. I will be blogging on it. Uh, and you can join in the discussion uh, tomorrow. Uh, to get more information uh, about our only one of our panelists is a blogger, but she's a darn good one. Mariette Williams' blog is those four little words. Dot com and that it ends in a plural words is plural. I have thoroughly enjoyed Mariette's blog. Uh, she interviews different experiences and uh, she and I I think are both committed to uh, the the reality that not everyone's adoption experience is identical. Not all adoptees are the same and and she's taken a different approach uh, in showing that by uh, featuring interviews with uh, with adoptees. And I, I did not just adoptees, but adoptive parents, everybody. Uh, and I've just loved, uh, Marietta, I've loved your blog. And uh, I recommend oh, everyone you. go out there and, and read it. Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.